Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, July 25th. It is a jam-packed week in the pro tennis world. We have six events on the calendar. So many different storylines to monitor. So much action to keep tennis fans everywhere entertained. And of course, here on today's show, what I want to do to make all of your lives easier is preview all six of our events. We've got three for the men, three for the women. Of course, on the men's side, you have a 500-level event in Hamburg that sees, what, five top 25 players in the world in Kasparu, Lorenzo Musetti, Alex Zverev, Andre Rublev, Francisco Sarundolo, all in the dry uh, draw, excuse me, you have world number one, Iga Sviantek playing this week, that unique opportunity for Iga to compete in front of a home crowd in Poland. She's participating in the 250 event in Warsaw. That draw also sees Karolina Muchova as the number two seed. So perhaps we get a little French Open final rematch this week in an innocuous 250 event in Warsaw. Wouldn't that be a treat for tennis fans everywhere? Of course, in a week like this, Traditionally, the storylines you monitor are the young ascending players who take the most of this opportunity in the calendar to get into perhaps a higher level event than they typically would to test their skills against the best of the best in the world for the first time. And you still have plenty of storylines like that littered throughout all of the draws we see this week, whether it's in a place like Lausanne, Switzerland, where players like Mira Andriva, Emma Navarro, even Diane Perry, Alina Avanissian, they've all got a chance to thrive in places like Hamburg with Dai Schneid, Diana Schneider, and Again, Julia Niemeyer, countless other young ascending pros making the most of the opportunity to hop into a tour-level draw, try to earn some victories under their belts. Of course, you've got the French teenagers, Arthur Fies, Luca Van Asche in action, Matteo Arnaldi, quietly, another young Italian having success. Here's the point. There are countless storylines to monitor this week. And again, it's downright impossible to follow all six events. Hell, I'm here in California this week at Tennis Channel Studios calling a bunch of the action. And even then, with three monitors in front of me monitoring three different sites at once, it's still impossible for me to follow all of the action. And, you know, again, That said, I have more time on my hands. I can go back, watch the replays. I can, again, monitor these storylines to, more broadly, make all of your lives a little bit easier. And again, what I want to do here on today's show is preview all six events. I also do want to offer my reflections from my first two days in the booth, given the fact I got to call the entirety of Kei Nishikori's 7676 victory over Jordan Thompson. I know Nishikori's return to the tour level is... Certainly one of the most entertaining storylines right now for the majority of tennis fans everywhere. So I want to offer you some Nishikori thoughts. We had the return of Marin Cilic yesterday. I got to call the first set of his match, which ultimately was a tough loss for Cilic. But where is his game at? Again, I got to watch Iga compete today. All the big storylines I'm ready to prepare all of you listeners for, and I suppose we'll clean up the rest of the details as we progress throughout the course of the week. But again, six events on the calendar. Want to run you through all the draws, talk about the storylines for you all to monitor. So that is what I plan on doing here on today's show. Now, I do want to quickly point out a couple of things. A, 
Apologies. Was hoping yesterday would be a two-mini-break podcast Monday. The reason it wasn't is because we're busy on some of our other platforms right now. And if you aren't already, go subscribe to the Great Shot podcast feed. Not only can you hear Damian Kust, Jakob Bobro break down every week on the ATP Challenger Tour, you can also, of course, take the time uh, to hear myself, John Parsons, every week discuss the countless players in the pro tennis world with college tennis ties and how they're doing in their pro summers or pro careers each and every week. We go through the highlights. Again, two really fun series that I know all of you mini break listeners will enjoy. So if you aren't already, go like, rate, subscribe, review to the Great Shot Podcast. You want to hear more from some of the players, coaches, organizers in the tennis world, be sure to go check out our Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. And then, of course, if you're watching the Netflix docuseries, go check out the Breakpoint Show. Myself, Gil Gross, have broken down nine of the ten episodes released in season one, season uh, episode 10's episode, excuse me, to be released shortly. We also have a really fun breakpoint interview set up that should be released early next week. So busy times, fun times here at Crack Rackets. In case you aren't catching all of the content and you'd like to, you can find it all. Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast feeds wherever you listen to your podcast, or you can just find everything housed on our website, crackrackets.com. So that's what we're up to here. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to Westoff for making all of our content possible. A shout-out, as always, to our friends at Tennis Point as well for their support of this show for the latest, greatest equipment, the best prices, tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. But enough with the introduction. We got six events to discuss here on today's show. So let's get into what is going to be an exciting week ahead. Let's start with our highest level event. That's the ATP 500 in Hamburg. And again, It's an event that sees five top 25 players in the draw at least to start the week. But, of course, if you monitored Monday, Tuesday's action, you know, we already had one of those top 25 players upset, and it was Francisco Sarundolo forced to retire down 4-2 in the third to Yannick Hanfman. Now, I was on the call for the ending of the second set, and the entirety of the third set of that match, a couple of different things I want to, you know, again, I want to mix in some reflections from the booth as well. I don't know if anyone this side of Carlos Alcaraz, Rafa's in a different plane, so please don't give me the Rafa speech, listeners who hear this, Djokovic as well, I'm talking about the mortals. I don't know, and and I don't even know if Carlos Alcaraz is considered a mortal anymore, but does anyone employ a more aggressive profile of shots on clay courts than Yannick Hoffman, whose relentlessness in moving forward, whose determination to take the ball early on the rise, beat you to the spot by moving in behind it, or, you know, through that relentless aggression, he starts to mix in the drop shot um, at appropriate moments. I don't know if there's someone with a more definitively attacking profile of a shot selection on clay courts than Hanfman, and it's why the 31-year-old has managed to break the top 50 for the first time this season. It's why he's managed to sustain his place in the top 60 these past few months in earning victories, not just his Rome quarterfinal run, which ultimately, of course, catapulted him to the top 50, but he backs it up with a semifinal in Mallorca, quarterfinals last week in Stad, now a top 25 victory over Sorundo, and look, you could tell something was off physically with Sarundolo throughout set number two. And, 
you know, he, I thought there was a little bit of a rejuvenation to start set number three, but once we hit about the 20-minute mark of the set, you could just tell. There was, there was a, I don't want to say a glaze in his eyes. I'm not trying to uh, diagnose what was going on with Sarundal. You could just tell he was a little dizzy. He just was out of it mentally, out of it physically, and you just can't afford to be out of it in either of those fashions when you are dealing with the relentless aggression of Yannick Hoffman. And look, Hoffman's one of 12 guys right now to be ranked inside the top 50 and of those top 50 players be ranked top 25 in both hold and break percentage. His backhand return is straight up elite. Like just how condensed the backhand backswing is, his ability to take that ball early on the rise, both down the line on the ad side, but perhaps more importantly, that inside-in backhand return, which he follows into the net so well from the deuce side and so typically has a first forehand volley to just knife into the open court. His combinations are sound. They're routine. They're practiced. And again, this is just a casual top 25 victory for Yannick Hoffman today. And you look for Hoffman in his career against, you know, top 20 players overall in his career. He's 6-9. and nine. He's five and, I know this wasn't a top 20 win. We'll add this to the list, though. He's 6-9 and nine in his career against top 20 players. He's 5-4. and four against the top 20 this season. Six and four if you are willing to slide number 21, Francisco Serundolo, up into that top 20 metric. Six of his seven wins against top 21 players have come this season. And, you know, again, he beats Tsitsipas on grass courts. He beats Rublev, Fritz, Musetti on clay. Now he gets a win over Serundolo. Uh, the majority of his career tour-level quarterfinals have come on clay courts, and it's because of that aggressive attacking profile. It's that ability to beat, you know, again, the forehand backswing is weird. It's a little flatter of a forehand. He kind of pancakes through the contact and really tries to get on top of the ball to almost smack it downwards. It freaking works. Like, again, yes, it's a little bit flatter, but God, Hanfin's feel, his touch, his size to move that well, that's 6'4", 6'5". He's a friend of the show. I'll be completely honest about that. I'm fortunate enough to have a bit of a texting relationship with Yannick Hoffman. As I mean, again, you call someone the most underrated player of the 2010s frequently enough. Eventually, you'd like to think you'll get in contact with him. Here's what I'll say. Hoffman's the real deal. Like This top 50 form is not a fluke. And it's something I've long thought he'd been capable of, just given the size, given the weapons he possesses. I think he's got the second-best kick serve in all of men's tennis, trailing just Carlos Alcaraz. It's that good on the ad side, and he's that good at kicking that ball high into the body on the deuce as well, which on, again, these clay courts is just so effective. Yannick's the real deal. He's got a very winnable match against Zheng Zhizhen to reach the quarterfinals in Hamburg. And now you quarter a Rome event, a Masters, you quarter a Hamburg event of 500. That's the profile of a top 50 player. And so, again, he's just the real deal, is Hanfman. Earns another impressive victory uh, on the day to advance in Hamburg. And, you know, again, looking at the draw... We have thus far still a couple of guys yet to begin their tournaments. The top two seeds who obviously had some travel issues, heading over from Bostad, but Andre Rublev, last week's champion, who knocked out, is the number two seed this week. Of course, the guy he knocked out in the final is the top seed in Casper Ruud. I mean, Casper was excellent, excellent last week. Rublev just found, as I 
there was a long rant on Andre Rublev on yesterday's mini break podcast. Perhaps some of you listening today didn't hear that. I'm not going to repeat the Rublev rant today, but Rublev was flawless. It's maybe the best match I've ever seen him play. That match he played in the Bostad final on Sunday. There's a reason Tennis Abstract has them as the two favorites of the event. Andre Rublev actually a 26.1% favorite. Rude 18.4. Uh, Zverev 19.8. And what, Musetti 15.9. Those are your top four favorites. Not a coincidence. Those are the top four seeds, and they're all within relative striking distance of each other uh, percentage-wise. That makes sense. All four have been really good. You know, who did Zverev lose to last week? Rublev, the guy who won the event. Who did Rude lose to last week? Rublev, the guy who won the event. Who did Musetti lose to last week? Rude, the guy who made the final of the event. They're the four favorites for a reason. I do think Yannick Hanfman is another storyline to watch because, again, 31 years old to be at that age, to play four, five years of challenger and the occasional 250 event and to just have the persistence, the determination, the wherewithal to power through. I think he's one of the storylines. The other one, and I've mentioned this throughout the course of the year, but I'm just going to keep reiterating this fact. We are in the single most exciting moment for French men's tennis from a long-term trajectory perspective since the early 2000s. In Arthur Fees, you just have a stud. Like, the 19-year-old who earns a victory in his first round in Hamburg, up to a new career high, number 59 in the live rankings. The weapons are real. I love how he competes point in, point out. Like, just addicted to it. He moves well. He's just freaking good. And you look for Arthur Fee, who, of course, earlier this season reached the final in Lyon, ultimately winning the title over Francisco Sarundolo. I think it's him. Uh, you know, He's one of, what, two guys, I think, who born in 2004 who has a title or maybe the only guy born in 2004 with a title. You know, he follows that up by uh, – or what has he done subsequently? Qualifies in Den Bosch, qualifies at Queen's Club, First-round losses for him in Roland Garros and Wimbledon, but both of them were losses to Davidovich Fokina, who was seated at each event, so I suppose you take them each with a grain of salt. Fees is the real deal. I, I just don't know how to say it. Like, the weapons are real. If you haven't already, you got to give him a look. And then, how about Luka Van Asha, who isn't quite as adept at generating his own pace, but Luka's just in for the fight. Kid can scoop. Around the court. I was impressed in his 6 and 4 win over Alexandra Mueller. Now, I don't love his forehand technique. I think in a quicker court, and more importantly, against quicker weapons, that technique is, can get exposed. And I think that's where the majority of the errors are going to come from. But he is a top 100 type athlete, the 19 year old from France. And again, you have two teenagers in the top 100 for France. That has not happened. Since the days of Sanga, Simone, Gasquet, Monfi working their way up the rankings. I'm not saying either of these guys are going to be sure thing top 10 players. But these are two players for fans of French men's tennis to get excited about. And as much as we love Arthur Rinderknechen, you know, I even have an Hugo Umbert streak to me. I even like Quentin Halise. I like these guys more. Their prospects, their long-term upside, and they're good right away. So, again, Fee going to take on Dusan Lajevic in round two. Van Asha, a really fun match. Going to take on Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Apologies to the scoreboard operator who has to type in those last names. That one gets a little tricky. You know, again, a lot of good clay court guys still alive. Jura, still alive. Guido Pea, still alive. 
Chung Ji Shen just has consolidated his spot in the top 100. He and Wu Bing. It's just like they ain't going anywhere for quite a bit of time. By the way, the first round matchups for Rude and Rublev aren't exactly easy. Rude faces Sepi Baez. Rublev's got the always tricky on clay courts, Bernabeza, Pata Moraes. There's a reason it's a 500 level of, uh, you know, it is a 500 level event, so you would expect the top dogs to all be playing it. Hamburg's your best draw of the week. There's a lot of good stuff across the board, but no doubt in my mind, Hamburg's the best spot of the week. And again, right now, Rublev, who won last week in Bostad, he's the favorite according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. But Rublev, Rude, Zverev, Musetti, all prohibitive favorites according to the Abstract Formula. And by the way, that makes sense given the success all of them have had on the surface this season. That's your 500-level event and I would say most significant on the men's side. But I do want to talk Atlanta quickly because certainly a storyline I know many tennis fans are monitoring the return of 2014 U.S. Open finalist and former top five player in the world in Kane Ishikori who of course we got the chance to see in person at the Bloomfield Hills Challenger he goes and makes a quarterfinal in Chicago the next week now he this week he plays his first tour level event since October of 2021 this week in Atlanta kicks it off with a W Six and six win over Jordan Thompson, a match that saw no breaks of serve from start to finish. Nishikori looked excellent, was striking the ball brilliantly. Everything that was on script, he looked like the K Nishikori of old. When the first serve went in, he won about 80% of his first serve points. He found his first uh, serve, first forehand combination, particularly the first forehand inside out into the ad corner. God, was he, he was just hitting it perfectly. There were no breaks of serve. Six and six. Like, the issue for Kane Ishikori, and this is what I always have said in the past, if you study players who are returning from injury or if you've ever played tennis at a serious level, sorry not to impose that I played tennis at a serious level and compared my game. We're doing this rant again. Binary system, 1-0. I promise, listeners, if you saw me play, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you, you played tennis in your past, did you not? And the answer to that question is yes. The point is, anytime you take a long layoff, the things on on script, those are the easy parts. It's the improvising. It's hitting a serve and being like, wait a second, there's a next ball coming. I got to move my feet and get to it. It's, you know, the approach shots where it's little steps, not big steps that make the difference in how well you execute the return of serve when you just haven't had a ball 130 miles per hour blasted at you that you have to kind of guess and lean which way you're going. Those are the things that take a little longer to come back. And that, those are the things that were lacking for Kane Ishikori. I mean, his rhythm on the return of serve was atrocious today. Just atrocious. Uh, there were, uh, for the, I mean, again, credits Jordan Thompson. Served really well. Moved really well. Really should have broken Kane Ishikori in the second set, whether it was in his 4-3 three, uh, return game or, you know, he even had a look in what, I think it was 6-5, 15-40, and Ishikori fought back from a couple of set points down. I thought Thompson was going to destroy a racket at the end of that second set. Now, he ultimately didn't, but, you know, again, everything that was on— Nishikori wasn't broken. Like, when he was landing the first serve, had an easy look at a first forehand, ball was put away. And I thought he moved good, not great. You know, again, the, the big picture, he's moving fine. Immediate future, the footwork's a little off. Like, small steps, big steps should be small steps, et cetera, et cetera, but— 
it was a good day at the office for Kane Ishikori. Again, his first tour-level victory since 2021 now. He's back up into the top 400. That doesn't really matter. He'll get wild cards into whatever he wants to play or use that protected ranking should he desire. Good win for Thompson, uh, for Nishikori over, again, a, a Jordan Thompson who's won a lot of matches, particularly on the grass courts of late. Uh, Nishikori, though, through to round number two, where up next he will face the winner of Ben Shelton and Jerry Sheng, a match that plays here on Tuesday night. Excuse me, has yet to begin. Nevertheless, I'm tired. I got to get up early because uh, I think I'm on the 5 a.m. call time shift tomorrow. So here's your podcast previewing all the events. That's a fun one to monitor, of course. Some other things. I got to call Wooey Bing 3-4 and four over Quarantine Mute. Look, Wu has a lot of points to defend. He won the Rome-Georgia Challenger title, Indianapolis Challenger title around this time last year. He has third-round points to defend at the U.S. Open and then another Challenger final at the end of the season to defend. You know, Wu's been good, not great, throughout the course of this season. He, he, you look at the top-line record. Obviously, he won the title in Dallas, 17-14 and 14 overall, though. And, two, you know, two of those runs include indoor final title in Dallas indoor hardcourt final at the Cleveland Challenger. Hasn't been that good outdoors. Obviously struggled on the clay courts, which you'd expect given it was his first clay court season. I know coming in today he had lost six of seven, but who are those six of seven to? Zverev, RBA, Fuchovic on grass court, 6-4 in the third, not a bad loss. Rublev in three in Hala, Kesmenovic 6-6, six and six. Tiafo straight sets first round Wimbledon. It's twofold. The top line record is a little scary, 17 and 14. And, you know, again, he's he's made one quarterfinal since winning the title in Dallas. The second half of that equation is it's his first time playing a full-time tour-level schedule, and he's actually over 500. And, again, the losses he's had, while those are matches you have to win if you want to be a top 50, or in his case, I think he really does have the skill set to be a top 25 guy. But he's close. And how often do we say you almost have to lose those matches? You have to experience the hardships before winning can become easy. And I actually do think in terms of step—this is step two. Last year was step one, the breakout. Step two is consolidating your spot. I think Wu Bing did well enough in the uncomfortable portion, clay courts, grass courts of the season, that now that we're back on hard courts, we know how good he is on hard courts. I think we see another Wu Bing push here down the final third, and I'm happy I got to watch him employ Servan Volley to take advantage of Quarantine Mute's overly defensive court positioning, to watch him capitalize on every extra second provided by the Quarantine Mute slices. Wu Bing's just the real freaking deal. I didn't hate how Mute played today either. I think that's a guy who could make a nice little push because you do just feel so uncomfortable given the slices, the angles he throws at you, but Wu Bing through to round number two. We're a date with Taylor Fritz awaits. Obviously, that's a little Dallas final rematch. How can you not get excited about that? And look, this Atlanta draws right up our alley here at Crack Rackets. Fritz versus Wooey Bing. Nishikori versus a guy I have said is not eliminated from the goat race in Jerry Shang, as well as a guy who I like to think I invented the beat reporting path of in Ben Shelton. Did Isner ultimately beat Kofer? I know they were playing right as I was getting ready to leave the broadcast. That one, nope. Kofer, 3-6-7-6-7-6. Heck of a win for the former number one ranked college player in the nation. Kofer needed that one. He gets it, knocks Isner out of the John Isner Open. Uh, up next for Kofer, Dan Evans, a guy who has struggled of late. You may not remember this, but Dan Evans, currently 30 in the world. He's lost seven of his last eight. 
And with all due respect, you know, he's not he, – he, one of those losses to the Alcaraz, but here's who six of the last seven have been losses to. Zapata Moraes, Carbeas Baena, Kokonakis, Gab Diallo, Seb Corda, Quinton Halise. It's not the resume of a uh, top a number 30 player in the world. So, it's, you know, Evan's looking to right the ship here this week. Alex Mickelson back in action. First final of his career for the teenager last week. He's got Max Cressy again in round number one. J.J. Wolf, exceptional, was the Buckeye knocking out a Michigan Wolverine yesterday in Jason Jung. You saw Alex Vukic, the former Illini All-American, who quietly has consolidated a place in the top 100. Vukic, 82 in the rankings entering the week. He's played 92 matches over his last 52 weeks. 57-35 and 35 during that stretch of time. He's made 10 different quarterfinals, nine of them at challenger events. He's made five different challenger finals in the past year. One challenger title coming back in May. He's done it the hard way. And Vuki right now, 82 in the live rankings. On no breaks of serve, but ultimately Vukic takes the break, uh, takes the breaker, and then gets an early break in the second set, which he rides through the finish line. Vukic straight sets over George's Ethan Quinn, a match I believe John J. Parsons and I discussed on yesterday's Great Shot podcast episode. Speaking of college battles, battles of the Yellow Jackets, Chris Eubanks. Coming off of the Wimbledon quarterfinal, going to take on rising senior for Georgia Tech, Andreas Martin. I saw Brandon Nakashima get a win earlier today. He's got to write his season. Nakashima's, I don't want to say he's disappointed because I don't think that's fair, but 28 and 22 in his last 52 weeks, he's 8 and 13 here this year. And a lot of that's been injury related, but yeah, Nakashima with this victory snapped. He had lost six of his last seven coming into Atlanta. Good win over Max Purcell uh, for him to advance. We're now a date with the winner of Eubanks and Martin awaits. Lloyd Harris, a good three-set win over Duckworth yesterday. Um, Umbera winner. Again, it's a fun draw. You've got top seed Taylor Fritz, second seeded Alex Demonauer, Nishioka Evans, your four three seeds respectively, Nishikori. This is a crack racket draw. So, of course, we'll be monitoring Atlanta throughout the course of the week. Uh, that said, again, I'm going to go a little bit faster through these final four events. Hamburg, Atlanta have been the two I have been most locked in on in the booth, at least thus far. Now, part of that is due to the fact that we had some rain on the women's side, in particular in Lausanne. I, was, I had a heavy Lausanne schedule of matches to call today, and unfortunately, it just got rained out. And so, you know, again, let me fire through our three WTA events now, and then we'll get back to the ATP action in Umag. Uh, on the women's side, let's start in Warsaw, because that's where world number one Iga Svantec is competing. And, you know, again, last year, Svantec got knocked out by Caroline Garcia early in the Warsaw event. Obviously, She's the world number one. Why are you playing a 250 if you're the world number one? Because it's on home soil. Because you want you relish the opportunity, a very rare opportunity for a player from Poland to compete in front of your home country, in front of home fans. And Look, right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Iga has a 72.6% chance of winning the event. I have nothing, no case to argue otherwise. A 4-3 and three win for her today. I don't think she played particularly well. I don't think her opponent, Abduriamova, Abduriamova, I apologize, I butchered that pronunciation. Her opponent couldn't hurt her. Like, she was tall, she had some weapons, but the margin of error was too small. And eventually, Iga found the rhythm. Eventually, Iga changed direction for her first hard court match in some quite some time. You know, again, Iga was playing chess. Her opponent was playing checkers. I would be shocked 
if Iga does not win the event this week. But I'll tell you what, there are some fun storylines to monitor. First of all, uh, three seeds already knocked out. Third seeded Katarina Sinyakova knocked out five and two by Heather Watson. Jung Shui continues to struggle, knocked out by Martin Sova six and four. And then Stefanini, a one and six win over seventh seeded Linda Fruvertova. I mean, what else? Muhova surviving 6-3 in the third over Sasnovich today. Sasnovich could have closed out that set. Had her chances in the second set to close things out, but once she got blanked in the breaker, you just kind of knew Muhova was going to pull away from there. It was great to see Clara Tossin. The Again, Clara Tossin is, what, 19 years old right now? The Dane, yeah, no, turns 20, 21 years old this December. Obviously was ranked as high as 33 back when she was 19 years old last season. Currently 91 in the world. Obviously has dealt with so many different injuries, but you know makes third round roll on Garros. Uh, now a win here in Warsaw. Things are just headed back in the right direction for Tossin, who her weapons on a quick surface. You better be fast. You better have something you can do to disrupt her, because if you let her swing freely, her weapons are that proficient. God, does she move the ball well around the court. Her and Linda Nuskova are my players I'm watching most closely because Iga's Iga, and I, I feel like I know what I'm getting from Iga, but to see Nuskova, the 18-year-old, three-set win uh, in round number one, again, she is the eighth seed here this week, and it's been an up-and-down year for the 18-year-old. 35-22 and 22 in her last 52 weeks, 21-14 and 14 here this week, but of course she started the season winning her first six matches, so she's what? 15 and 14 since that first week in Adelaide for an 18-year-old who has played all but three events at the WTA Tour level. That's a damn good year. Like Nuskova is finding her bearings, finding what works. She's on the path. She's going to be a spectacular, I think, really good throughout the course of her career. And so, you know, again, it's the Iga show in Warsaw. To watch her play in front of her hometown, obviously that's special. And in her next match, she'll face the winner of the only first-round match yet to conclude, Claire Liu Yuan Yua, currently 4-all, first set there, suspended due to darkness. Again, Sinyakova Jung Shui knocked out, so that top half, it's really Iga, big drop, Naskova, small drop, everyone else. Bottom half of the draw, Muhova, Tossin, Julin. Bottom half is certainly more entertaining, is this the week we get the toss and push? I mean, Tatiana Maria in round two is a very winnable match. The problem is a Muhova round three matchup. Well, that would be a Muhova quarterfinal. Toss and wins that. She's back, you know, in the eyes of so many. Yeah, I'm going to go with the toss and back narrative. Toss and might be this week's Jung, uh, a much smaller scale, but she's this week's Jung Chin Wen. And obviously, Tossin's struggles have been far more injury-related, or her absence from the top of the game, far more injury-related, I would say, than Jung Chin Wen's, and Jung Chin Wen is still at the top of the game, so it's not like she ever left. Anyways, I'll go Sviantek Tossin. I think Iga's on a mission, and when Iga's on a mission, you're just a fool to think anyone else is going to win the event, so I'll back Iga in Warsaw, and again, we'll have plenty more to discuss throughout the week on all these WTA events. I know I'm spending a little less time on them than the men's side. I just have called more matches in Hamburg and Atlanta than anywhere else thus far. In Hamburg, it's a massive week for Bernie P. You got to feel the burn if you're Bernardo Pera, who Won the Budapest Hamburg titles back-to-back last season. Right now, Para, uh, she lost first round last week in Budapest. Survived her first round match against Zainab Somez, uh, 6-4 in the third. 
Somez is a heck of an athlete. She can she can scoop on a clay core. Hell of a mover. Needs to absorb and redirect pace to generate any sort of weapons. She's very reactive, less so proactive, except for using her speed to beat you to the spot. But good win for Bernie P in round one. And then today, 6-1 and one over Kaya Kanepi. Schiller in a quarterfinal round two matchup with Dai Schnei, the 19-year-old Diana Schneider, fresh off of her college tennis career, concluding into her first tour-level quarterfinal. Check this, of her career. First tour-level quarterfinal of her career. She's had tons of successes at the ITF level and obviously qualified, reached the second round of the Australian Open, played that spectacular match with Clara uh, with Maria Sakkari. But look for the 19-year-old. Shout-out to Schnei. Again, first career tour-level quarterfinal with the victory. Schneider back up to number 99 in the live rankings. One more victory. She'll jump all the way to 95, which, again, U.S. Open on the horizon. Can she get into the main draw on her own ranking? As of right now, the answer to that question is yes. Her weapons just overwhelmed. Fifth-seeded Julia Graber today, 6-4-6-2. Lefty's got... It's lefty on lefty. Schneider versus Para. And I love the bandana. Schneider what rock. She just looks ready to go to war in the best way possible. Like She is out there to ball. And she has the weapons to do so. The serve is still a work in progress, but... Again, on these high-bouncing clay courts, got her weapons effective. Para, Schneider, your only quarterfinal set already in Hamburg. Tons of fun uh, second-round matches, though, on the horizon because we had some upsets in Hamburg thus far. In fact, three of our top four seeds eliminated. Now, some of them, in my opinion, in fact, I'd argue all three are schedule losses. Donna Vekic coming straight from Hopman Cup. She loses 3-6-6-3-6-3 to Storm Hunter, which... I'll continue to reiterate, best name in all of sports. Massive win for Hunter. It's a schedule loss for Vekic. Just, again, to travel across countries after winning the Hopman Cup event. It's tough scheduling. I don't hold it against her big picture. And, again, it's clay courts. We're moving back to hard courts soon. So you take it with a grain of salt. Last week's finalist in Palermo, Jasmine Paolini, knocked off 0-6 by Dario Seville. Again, Paolini played the final on Sunday, has to travel countries, has to do all this adjusting for conditions. Now, look, you got to do that every week, but she made a final last week, so I'm not reading too much into this. I'm calling it a schedule loss. And then Meyer Sharif, a one-in-one loss to Ava Lease. I didn't expect that scoreboard. Sharif, obviously, a semifinalist last week. That's a tough one. That's the least schedule lossy of the bunch, but still counts as a schedule loss in my mind. Nevertheless, some entertaining names. You look at the bottom half of the draw, Julie Niemeyer, Nadia Podoroska, you know, players trying to work their way back. Obviously, that top half, you've got Trevisan still alive into the quarterfinals. And, you know, Para, Schneider, really fun event. Right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Bernie P, 25.4% chance of defending her title in Hamburg. You look at her in the live rankings right now. Para, with all the points coming off of her resume, currently sitting at 56 in the live rankings. Another victory, she'll go back up to number 52, needs to make at least the finals to re-enter the top 50 uh, once again here this week. I mean, Paris Schneider's as fun of a match as any we have in that quarter, in the quarterfinals set thus far. And so, by the way, Niemeyer Putin save us around a 16 match on the schedule tomorrow in Hamburg. Sign me up for that contrast of styles. Hopefully we'll have it on T2. It's going to be fun. I'm, I'm locked in. And again, I, I know I have more 
women's matches on my call sheet tomorrow, so we're going to flip the order, and we'll lead with Hamburg, Lausanne, and Warsaw. As again, there's really not much Lausanne action to update you all on. Rain washing away all of Tuesday's play. Now, Monday did see 16-year-old Mira Andriva give Diana Yastremska the business. That was a dominant victory for the 16-year-old Andriva, who ultimately gets through 0-2 over Yastremska. Only three first-round matches remaining. We actually a, b- a bunch of round ones in the book. Emma Navarro, straight set win. How She won 0-0 over Lealia Jean-Jean. How casual Navarro makes tour-level victories look now. I talked about this with Jay on our podcast this week. It's just don't take it for granted how easy Navarro has made the transition look from college to the pros. Hell of a win for a former top junior in the world in Diane Perry, the ninth-seeded French woman, taking the spot of the top seed who withdrew this week in Lausanne. She gets a 6-2 third-set victory over the always tricky and athletic Fiona Farrow. Jill Teichman got a win. That feels noteworthy. Alina Avanesian advances to round number two. She's one of those 21-and-under players you forget is already inside the top 100 of the WTA rankings because there are so many talented young stars Right now, you look at Lausanne. The favorite is Mira Andriva, 25.2%. Cochiaretto, 12.6%. Ceribes Tormo, 11.3%. Anna Bogdan, who currently trails by a break, 3-2 third set to 22-year-old Simona Waltert, who I like the size. I like the weapons, how well she leverages her length. Um, if Bogdan can get through that, she'll remain one of the favorites this week. But more than anything, Lausanne is going to get funky. So buckle the seatbelts. Again, those are your three WTA tour level events. And then last, but certainly not least, I do want to discuss uh, the event going on in Umag. Shout out to former French Open junior boys singles champion and uh, 2005's very own Dino I don't want to butcher this last name pronunciation. Prismich. I apologize if I did. Prismich becomes just the second player born in 2005 to earn a tour-level victory. And God, is that a devastating thing to say out loud. But shout-out to Prismich. Gets the job done. One and two over Adjakovic. I had the Dominic team match in its entirety yesterday. Team looked good. Like his first serve, first forehand combination was as effective against Facundo Bagnus as I have seen it. In the past 18 months of Dominic team tennis, I thought he moved extraordinarily well. First serve percentage struggled, but again, his first serve, first forehand, he was coming through the the inside-out forehand and finishing points with it the way he did back in 17, 18, 19, pre-injury. Bagnus fought, but again, Dominic team gets goes unbroken. In that first-round match, always a good way to kick off your tournament. Four and five team through in Umag. Now he's got a really tough test against top seed uh, Yuri Lachetchka. But again, Umag rained out on Tuesday as well. So it's really only Monday's matches. Popperin, Prismich, Taro Daniel, Flavio Caboli, who ends the comeback of Marin Cilic. Four and three in round number one. Caboli, another one of those young Italians who's just freaking good. 21 years old, 141 in the live rankings. He's in the David Goffin camp. I don't know what the overwhelming weapon is other than his quickness, but I also don't know what the definitive weakness is for Kaboli either, how opponents will go about relentlessly attacking his game. So, yeah, credit to Kaboli. Again, 4-3 and three over Chilich. Bunch of round one matches still to come. Again, rain wiping away Umag's play. Your top seeds this week, Lachetchka, the number one seed. Sinego, the two. 
Uh, as I mentioned, Seb Ofner. Interesting. Ofner, the three seed. Roberto Carbeas Baena, the fourth. This is the one where things could get a little funky. Or maybe this is the week it all falls back into place for Dominic team. Either way, we'll keep our eyes on Umag and we'll keep our eyes on all six matches, uh, events, excuse me, throughout the course of the week as it is just one of those jam action packed weeks on the WTA and ATP tours. Of course, again, I am here at Tennis Channel Studios. As such, I can't guarantee the release time for these mini breaks will be the same every day. I can guarantee we will have episodes recapping all of the action this week to make sure all of you listeners know what's happening across the tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to produce all this content day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a fuck of an ending job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out to him. Shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.